Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for this podcast. Anorexia nervosa is a psychogenic eating disorder, meaning that it originates in the brain. It's characterised by a patient's refusal to acknowledge their condition, but its effects are apparent over the whole body. It's the name given to the condition affecting people who are usually, but not exclusively, young and female, do not eat enough and become ultimately very thin. Males who develop anorexia nervosa make up between about 5 and 10% of patients referred to specialist clinics. The proportion of boys to girls may be higher in a younger age group. Affected adults and older teenagers lose weight. Younger children, who should still be gaining weight to match their increase in height, cease to get taller and fail to gain weight as expected. As time progresses, the illness takes an ever firmer grip. The drive for thinness is more determined and the consequent avoidance of high-calorie, usually high-fat foods, becomes more obsessive and total. People who suffer from established anorexia nervosa will sacrifice anything to remain in control of their weight and food intake in order to avoid, as they see it, getting fat. For anorexics, however low their actual weight, any weight gain at all will make them feel like this, even when it's just half a pound or even just a couple of hundred grams. The illness can sometimes take a prolonged and severe course when it will result in marked and chronic emaciation as well as the harmful physical effects, including low bone density and osteoporotic fractures. Anorexia nervosa has profound psychological effects. Personal and emotional relationships deteriorate, leading to social isolation and poor employment and study prospects. I want to, at this point in the podcast, talk about the biological effects of actual starvation on the body. As I said, it's a psychoneurotic condition where a person has a psychogenic, so mental rather than physical aversion to the food. The desire to avoid eating overrides any appetite or hunger pains, and that gradual starvation leads to the emaciation. Now, in advanced cases, this has serious consequences for the person's physical condition, including the following. The parotid or saliva gland enlargement amenorrhea or a cessation or lack of menstruation, a low pulse, low blood pressure, erosion of the tooth enamel, impaired endocrine function, metabolic and biochemical abnormalities, a subnormal body temperature and edema or swelling of the lower body. In spite of the obvious physical degradation, those suffering from anorexia are frequently in denial about their condition and doctors have to repeatedly explain and draw attention to it. In some cases, the patient may, I guess you could say, play along with the doctor and lie about food take potentially or surreptitiously vomit any food that is eaten. Death from inanition, which is basically exhaustion caused by a lack of nutrients, may occur in extreme cases. It is thought by some experts that there may be an inherited aspect to anorexia nervosa. This would imply that relatives who have eating disorders themselves or who suffer from an obsessive compulsive disorder or are chronic worriers seem to be able to pass on in their genes their tendency to react to stress by developing an eating disorder. 
What remains unclear is whether transmission of the disorder from generation to generation is solely by the handing on of genetic material from parent's child, or by example and teaching also. Each family unit develops and passes on its own, I guess you could say, household traditions, and this is especially true about the culture, values, attitudes and beliefs which surround ordinary meals and say, feast day celebrations. The traditions surrounding food may be well determined in terms of who eats what and under what specific circumstances. This influence is likely to affect us without even realising it. We absorb such teaching and example even before we can talk, as research is beginning to demonstrate. For instance, detailed observations of mothers feeding their firstborn child at the age of one show previously unsuspected variations in the mother-child interaction around feeding and associated habits. So from infancy, customs and assumptions concerning food are basically instilled in the child, often subconsciously. But as I said, to, in summary, the exact role of family influence in the development of anorexia is unknown, but it could be a factor. Anorexia nervosa is reported by the UK Department of Health as having the highest mortality of any single psychiatric diagnosis. However, in spite of the obvious and visible damage that is done to the bodies and minds of sufferers, the illness is often dismissed as foolish. The behaviour is seen as that of vain, uh, often younger individuals who maybe have could say, caught anorexia nervosa because they want to look like the latest kind of fashion model or pop singer. But that view, which is actually surprisingly common, trivialises the internal emotional conflict and distress of the sufferer. Usually they lack somebody to confide in and can seek alternative ways of actually coping. According to research, about 50% of patients also exhibit depressed mood. Family attitudes, values and beliefs and the sufferer's own genetic, genetic apologies, inheritance all combine to create this neurotic perfectionism and a mode of thought which can only see issues in terms of extremes. Low self-esteem or a fixed and poor estimate of one's own self-worth are universal features of all eating disorders and this applies especially in the case of anorexia nervosa. Now, ident identify rather anorexia nervosa may be straightforward for a doctor, but convincing the sufferer of their condition can be extremely difficult. Counselling, drug treatment and occasionally force feeding may be required. So this part of the podcast, I want to talk about actually identifying and treating the condition. And I start by looking at the diagnostic cr criteria. Well, Interestingly, there are no diagnostic lab tests to identify anorexia nervosa. However, initial weight loss, not associated with any other medical illness, followed by the subsequent maintenance of a body weight which remains significantly below the normal for that individual of the same height, age and sex of the sufferer, is one diagnostic feature of the condition. The peak onset, universally we agree, is around mid to late teens. Another criterion is a profound hormonal disturbance, which takes different forms in males and females. Young women who have reached puberty and have started regular periods find that their menstrual flow lessens and their periods become irregular. In many cases, 
menstruation ceases completely, and that's called amenorrhea. The equivalent hormonal disturbance in males reduces the frequency of ejaculation and eventually limits the ability to have erections. Unfortunately, the accepted definitions of anorexia do not list such hormonal effects that may be apparent in males. Three consecutive months without a menstrual period is usually taken to be one of the three main diagnostic features of anorexia nervosa in females. The other two are the low weight and the central overriding preoccupation with dietary restriction and an absolute avoidance of weight gain. Taken together, these features have been described by experts as constituting a sort of phobic avoidance of normal weight, if you like. While there is no single typical picture of an anorexic person's appearance, there are a number of physical and physiological changes that are common to many sufferers of the disorder. So I've already spoken about brain chemistry. A psychogenic aversion to food may affect the chemical balance of the brain, therefore affecting mood and mental balance. We find low pulse and blood pressure or hypotension. The breast may retain their shape despite an overall physical atrophy or muscle wastage and emaciation. Sufferers often have fine downy body hair. So lanugo hair actually may, as it's called, may be present on the patient's body, especially on the back. As I referred to earlier, amenorrhea, or the cessation of the menstrual uh, period for at least three consecutive months. It's months. It's a diagnostic feature. Um, total failure of sexual function is rare, though. And edema, swelling of the lower limbs due to the fluid accumulation in the tissues that may occur in advanced cases. Living with a very low body weight has profound effects on the way the brain works. Now, this is particularly applicable to thought processes and the way in which the brain processes information. Recent research suggests that differences may be visible on brain scans of teenage girls with anorexia compared with girls who do not have it. What is not yet clear is whether the lesions that can be seen develop as a result of the illness or whether they were there before the girls developed their illness. What happens after recovery has not yet been established. It's known that people can inherit genetically determined constitutional traits or personality characteristics that may predispose a person to develop anorexia nervosa if environmental factors are unfavourable. Evidence of damage to the hypothalamic region of the brain, which controls hunger, thirst and sexual function, may be revealed by brain scanning. Although whether this is a cause or an effect of the disease, as I said, is uh, at this stage unclear. Let's talk about recovery, because recovery can be a long and a difficult process. Patient first needs to regain body weight before embarking on a course of long-term psychotherapy. Weight gain by itself does not constitute a recovery. However, without restoring weight to at least a lower end of the normal range, recovery cannot take place as constrained mental functioning means the sufferer cannot grasp new ideas or just process new information. Researchers have different views about how attitudes typical of anorexia sufferers are created and maintained. All agree that restoration of near-normal weight by feeding and counselling or psychotherapy 
are essential to achieve an increase in self-esteem and establish habits of more flexible thinking. A reward system is sometimes used to encourage weight gain. Someone who is recovered from anorexia is able to eat enough regular, nutritious meals to maintain a near-normal weight. That enables them to live a normal life in all areas, including sustaining fruitful personal relationships. Weight gain will also restore any damage to fertility. Fluoxetine, or Prozac, is an antidepressant that is often used to treat sufferers of anorexia nervosa. It controls levels of serotonin, a naturally occurring compound in the body that influences mood. Severely emaciated patients will require IV or intravenous infusions to stabilise homeostasis, as in the maintenance of a, a constant internal environment, and regain body weight. The fatty, vitamin-enhanced and mineral-rich solution may contain as many as 3,000 calories. But what about long-term recovery? And, and support that goes with that. Well, people with anorexia nervosa require evaluation and treatment focused on biological, on psychological and social features of this quite complex but chronic health condition. Assessment and ongoing management should be interdisciplinary and it's best accomplished by a team consisting of medical, nursing, nutritional and mental health professionals. Treatment should be provided by healthcare providers with expertise in managing patients with eating disorders and knowledge about normal, adolescent, physical and psychological development. Hospitalisation is necessary in the presence of malnutrition, clinical evidence of medical or psychiatric decompensation or failure of outpatient treatment. Ultimately, after the patient has regained weight, counselling can begin and these intensive therapy sessions may last for months or even years and they're designed ultimately to help the sufferer overcome the negative self-image that they have of their body. This isn't a... there's no real quick fix for this condition. It is incredibly debilitating but the support really is out there. Now I've touched on a number of uh, themes in this particular podcast and understandably listeners out there may have questions if you do do get in touch at kytospology at gmail.com and in the future i do intend to record a few other podcasts on um, a few other eating disorders like all that remains for me to say is a big thank you to everyone out there for listening and until next time